This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the luminaries. The composer, pianist, and performer Henry Kapersky has served as a guardian angel for the downtown community for many years. Before he strikes off with his solo show, Magic Elf Lord, at Joe's Pub on October 10th, we talked about his hero's journey, the power of intention, and his favorite nights in New York. Henry Kapersky, I would, I always say welcome to the podcast, but I don't feel like I'm in my podcast. I feel like I'm in a fantasy uh, because we're recording at your home upstate and there's like literally crickets a chirping outside i know and that's exactly what my tinnitus sounds like <laughs> if anyone was wondering <laughs> which it's for life mm-hmm. yes yeah <laughs> no i think um one time oh so i love the oa and uh this isn't a big spoiler but one of the characters has tinnitus and it's because and he learns he has tinnitus because he's like an interdimensional traveler and so that like helped me accept and like honor my tinnitus. That's kind of like how I think, I don't even think this is true, but you know, like I used to have gap teeth as a child and my stepmom would be like, you know, the Chinese believe that's good luck. And it's like, I don't know if that's true, but like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my mom said that the gap would always close and my mom was right. But that anyways, um, thank you for having me here. And this is such an auspicious time for many reasons. You have your solo show on the 10th and you have, I'm sorry, your show, your solo show at Joe's pub, magical elf Lord is on the 10th. And mm-hmm. then you have the return of spirit night, which you host with Larry Owens on the mm-hmm. 21st. And, um, besides that, this episode comes out, I think October 1st, you and I like kind of met exactly two years ago on October 3rd. Right. When we did acid. So this is just kind of a exciting time. It's so exciting. And October the 3rd, that's the Mean Girls Day, right? Oh, I think October 4th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the 4th. Okay. Yeah. So Less important, but, <laughs> but should be noted. In the grand kind of, yeah, acid trip uh, scheme, it's still, it's still quite important. Yeah, I would um, say so. So first of all, I guess I just want to talk about Magic Elf Lord mm-hmm. because... Um, it's the name of your show. It's also the name of your, it's kind of your alter ego. It's your guys, right? Yeah. Or one of them, at least. I thought it was maybe the main one, but it's, it's just one of them. Um, yeah. Magic Elf Lord to me is who I become when I embrace my inner child mm-hmm. and like kind of let that um, combine with my adult Henry self when I, when I feel checked into it and honor it and feel powerful because of it, I feel like I'm magic elf Lord. I was with you. I have the same thing with the pink prince and mm-hmm. that I w- you were there when I discovered that, um, on the fifth dimension. And I'm curious how magic elf Lord came to you. Um, I, I guess 
<laughs> I mean, I've always loved elves from Lord of the Rings. They're um, beautiful. Yeah, like Tolkien elves, mm-hmm. high fantasy elves. And and I was in Ireland two winters ago, and I I went alone just for fun. There's weirdly really cheap flights to Dublin out of Stewart Airport in New York. Um, like I'm talking like round trip hundred fifty dollars. Maybe that's not a thing anymore. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. But I got a round trip flight from upstate New York to Magic Country to Magic Country, and I was on this hike in Howth, which is this like random like peninsula near Dublin, and it was very magical. And I was completely sober in every way, but I was just like alone on this hike, and I like took a wrong turn, and the hike ended up being like eight hours long. Amazing. <laughs> like. I was like, at the end, I was running because the sun was all, it was like getting dark mm. and I was <laughs> alone in the, these like woods, these magical woods of Ireland. And I, and to like be less scared, I just kind of like told myself, I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an elf. I'm an elf. I'm an elf. Um, and, and I imagined that I had been in that land like thousands of years ago or maybe hundreds of years ago as an elf. And I was like, no, I know where I am. I remember this because from when I was an elf. Amazing. <laughs> um, and that's when it kind of started. And I just like really latched onto that. And whenever I was like feeling scared or something, I would just be like, you're an elf or when it's feeling self-conscious or whatever, or feeling yeah. different, I would just be like, it doesn't matter that you're like, not like that person. You're an elf. Yeah. It gives me this kind of quantifiable sense of self because I feel like it's I can convince myself that I am or I'm not anything. And once I finally had this thing that I could say, like, listen, intrinsically, like your entitlement in this life is to be the pink prince. That's what it is. We know it. We've decided it. It did. It sounds so silly and like action figurey, but it gave me some thing to look up to. In myself, yeah. rather than just being like, you're nobody, what's your name, no one knows who you are, you don't exist. I can at least be like, no, bitch, you saw something, you know? Yeah. I Have you ever read uh, Yuval Noah Harari's books? He wrote Sapiens and No, I didn't. In his second, they're really good. In his second book, Homo Deus, there's a part where he talks about how um, no human being can confirm if any other human being is conscious you there's no possible way to actually determine if someone is conscious you can only (laughs) speak for yourself yeah and so with that in mind like if you think you're like you your universe is truly yours alone you you (laughs) you will never be able to prove that anyone else exists like right now i i can't prove that you exist you could be part of my imagination yeah but anyway like your I don't know. I, I've been really trying to think of like reality as my world because it is, and I can never prove that it isn't. So like, why not say that I'm a magic elf Lord and why not you who exist in your world only say you're a pink prince? Why would we deny that of ourselves? Right. Right. So, you know, to get here, I, did, I had to go through port authority and I was having a lot of similar thoughts because you empath like on an empathy level when you're at port authority bus station you have to completely seal yourself away otherwise just if you have any empathic ability at all you'll be sucked away by like the scourge of the human race but i was like are these people real 
And if so, what it is, what is it like to be in these people's minds? Like mm-hmm. in Port Authority, what is it like to be in another person's consciousness? Because I'm so overwhelmed, I can't imagine what it's like. And you see these characters where you're like, are you real? You know? Yeah. Like real Muppets. I think that's a really good way to exist. Uh, just to be in amazement of people around you. Yeah. It, I think it helps to keep from judging quickly. And, and I think it's a faster route to appreciating people, all types of people. Um, I have, I have a question related to that. Like I, I, how, how do you view audiences? Because you've played in all sorts of stages. Like you, I mean, just in New York alone, you are a regular at Joe's pub and a regular at club coming and club coming. The audience is so like literally in your face. Um, but you've also played at like larger arenas where the audience is kind of removed. And I'm just curious, like, what do you feel when you're up on stage? What is your relationship with the audience? Like, are you, are you, how do you connect with them in terms of a a mass consciousness that you're not aware of? That's that you're confronted with. I think it's different for every performer. I think it's helpful to talk about other people to figure out what my relationship is like, like with Catherine Cohen, I feel that she uses the audience as like her journal, like, and she's just writing her mm-hmm. thoughts and the audience is receiving them like ink on a page yes, and like feeling it in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for me, when I'm doing something, obviously when I'm playing piano for someone else, I'm just trying to support whatever that is. So when, with Catherine, I'm just supporting her writing her journal into the audience for me. I really feel I I feel like I have to talk to the audience as if we are in a conversation. Mm. Rather like Catherine's writing her thoughts into the audience. I feel like I have to be conversing like we are right now. I feel like something I I I, I don't know if it's a limitation. No, I think it's just a difference. I, I can't do something at the audience and have them receive it. Like it has to be, we have to go through it together, I guess. Which is why I think you probably were so beloved by a lot of improv comedians as Mm. an accompanist because you understood the kind of like dialogue nature. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that, um, that is probably why. And I wanted to ask about, so spirit night, uh, Henry Ho spirit night with Larry Owens. They had the first edition, uh, in August, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or July, end of July. End yeah. of July at Joe's Pub. And that, I know you set a lot of intention of like, you. it sounded like when we talked, you wanted the show to serve the audience, to like open them up, to give them something. And I'm just curious about the intention setting of that and then what happened. Yeah. Um, okay, there's a lot here. I, something I think I've learned, at least for myself, but I think this is probably true of everyone. Like intention is everything. And when your intention is for the highest good and to serve as many people as possible, Mm -hmm. you can do no wrong. Um, not to get too sidetracked. The other night I was in a cab and, or an Uber actually. And my driver had this like thingy hanging from, you know how people have things like they use like the two dice yes. hanging. He had something hanging, but it was like this beautiful symbol and it had two knives kind of in a circle. It was really cool. Mm. And I said, Hey, excuse me, what's uh 
what's your car thing? What is that? And he said, oh, I'm Sikh. And this is like the Sikh symbol. It's the knives of truth. And with these knives, the knives of truth, you can do no wrong. And you, you can have faith in yourself and, and know that you can do anything or something like that. And mm. so it's the same thing. I was like, this show, it's called Spirit Night. I want people to connect with their spirit or with their soul. I want people to, to love themselves. The thing that I kept saying and writing in my journal is that I want to create a vortex of love. And there I want the ceiling to crack open and yes. for this like tornado of love to come through and for everyone to just feel like so high in a way of like gratitude and appreciation for everyone in the room, whether they know them or not. Yes. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I, I was like, wow, if that's my intention, like what's going to get in the way of that? Um, whereas if my intention was like to impress people right. or to um, deliver some preachy message, which I have to be careful of. Right. Or to <laughs> um, get booked on something. Or to get booked. Yeah. There's so much that can get wrong because that's, I don't know, that's ego driven mm-hmm. um, and ego is important, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. So I think it's almost easier to set <laughs> an intention of like trying to, help people um and try to lift people up because i don't know i feel like when that's your intention the universe does everything it can to support that because that's what it wants and i also think like when you do something big when you have a project or a show and you're inevitably the one who has to advertise it and get the word out that becomes its own thing. And then by the time you're going to do the thing, it's the night of, you're like, what is it again? I've had that happen to me a lot where I'm like, why are we like, does anyone know why we're here? And it's my show and someone needs to like wake up. And so, yeah, that whole idea of being like, no, I need to give the audience something and let's like make that the priority. Mm hmm. Because you do get lost in like, are, do we have enough tickets sold? Blah, 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 blah. Right. So Is to Comedy be like, Central coming? exactly. And yeah. then, so it, when you told me that I was like, oh wow, he really like took the show back and then was able to give the audience something real, you know? Right. And even with all that intention prep, like the month leading up to it, when it, the day of the show, I still was like, what am I trying to say here? Like, mm-hmm. yes, I want to make this vortex of love. But how, like, what am I going to do? Like, I've assembled these people that I know and trust, and and it didn't come to me until, like, an hour before the show. And I went to the SGI Buddhist Center to chant and just to, like, completely, like, free my mind from the show. Mm-hmm. And I chanted for, like, an hour and a half. And in the last, like, minute, like, I've just kind of, like, I don't know, this focus chanting, in the last minute the download came in strong out of nowhere. Wasn't expecting it. I was like, you know, pretty much giving up and like, well, I guess I'll just walk back to Joe's pub and like, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the download came and I knew exactly how I was going to open the show and how I was going to end it and tie it all together. And it was, that was it. And it didn't come just like, it was le- everything I had done intentionally intention work beforehand led to that download coming. I just had to finally let go for it to come in. Yeah. That's something I'm really learning is like, I don't always get the answer I want when I want it, but it it really comes down to like, okay, I'll just make sure I keep all the channels open and that can be the work rather than like whatever I think the main work is. Sometimes it's just like getting out of your own way, opening up some space and like sitting back. 
Yeah, because if you're too focused on the way you think you're going to get the answer, then you are closed off or you're not paying attention to all the other channels that are around you at all times. I'll never learn. It's impossible. I mean, it's a constant every day or month or year. You have to you have to remember that you meaning me and all of us. Yeah. Um, Something I want to ask you about. I asked I spoke I asked Taylor Trench this and I asked Charlene this because I've, I know I've seen you perform with a lot of people and have incredible chemistry. And I know that you told me you just performed in fire Island with Cheetah Rivera. Mm -hmm. And you said that you had this really strong, you just felt really present and connected. And I'm just curious, like to, to be so intimate with someone on stage, especially if they're going off the cuff or improvising and you're following with them requires a lot of presence. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you, as you've developed in your career or in your life, if you had to do anything or clear anything out that allowed for you to be able to connect with people in that way? Um, I think it's, as a pianist, specifically a accompanist, like you just have to make sure you're working with people that have something to say. Mm. And like I used to just play for anyone just cause I needed to make money. And then once I was like, okay, I don't want to just make money. I want to feel connected to what I'm doing. Then you say, okay, who has something to say? Who like, there's, there's some people that, you know, they're just like trying to figure out how to be successful. Yeah. And then there's people that are trying to deliver something about themselves into the world. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Did you feel like... For you personally, do you feel, how long have you been, how long have you worked as an accompanist? Um, I have been working as a accompanist for like four or five years. So five I, I'm, years. I'm curious, like looking back four or five years to now, has, has any part of it changed? Have you gotten better in, in that? Has any part of that, like the way you work with people, the way you work changed or improved? Yeah, I I found that when I actually want to try to connect with the singer and support them, then that's when the magic happens. Amazing. When you actually, like, I used to want to be like, okay, like, make sure you, like, stand out, like, you know, be be impressive, like, add a flourish here, like, Mm -hmm. make sure people notice you. But what's funny is, like, when, when I would actually just set my intention or focus on how I can best support the singer who is, which is what you're supposed to do. That's when people do notice me like, Oh my God, you, I really felt like you were speaking with the singer. Like you were having a conversation together or like laying this foundation. Whereas otherwise, I don't know. It's just tacky. Yeah. I think like a strength that you've cracked that (laughs) unfortunately for a lot of comedians and people on stage, it takes, I think like five times as long. You cracked it way before anyone is like, if you are trying to compete with the person who's on stage with you, it is never going to work for you unless you're, you're crazy 
they're going to beat you because you're trying to beat them at something they're doing. So by being yourself and like serving something bigger, you actually offer something, which is in your case, often when I've seen you perform with Kat or Cole, I'm able to look from Cole who's in his underwear and a wig at you. Who's just like completely unfazed and feel a sense of balance and harmony and not like we're going to just keep escalating into hell. You know, you keep, you make it real. Mm-hmm. And if you were trying to like, you wouldn't be you, you know, you wouldn't be Henry. Who would Henry even be? You would just be like a kooky pianist who's trying to like outdo, you know? Right. Right. I think I, I got lucky in when I, in the beginning, my insecurities are what kept me like really quiet and staying out of the way of whoever I was performing with. Um, it wasn't like me, like being like, I'm going to straight man this and like, yeah. create a contrast it was just me being like scared and like feeling unworthy of anything (laughs) but then that I don't know as I became more confident then I took that position in an empowered way as like I need to yeah I'm gonna be yeah I'm not gonna try to compete I'm gonna like own (laughs) the I don't know the straight man because the first time I saw you I didn't know you you were performing for Cole and I was like Especially because you were in the corner and Joe's pub has that fabulous like pink and purple lighting. I was like, he's like in in Asgard. He's like one of Thor's friends and he's just like this power center. Like whoever that person is, he's the the generator right now. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. So how did it go with Cheetah? Can I ask? It went really well. I knew like a month in advance that we were going to perform with her. It was supposed to be this big surprise. It was for an Alan Cumming show and he said we're gonna I'm, we've invited Cheetah to come do a song with us uh, we're gonna do Nowadays oh my god and which <laughs> she originated um, and I was just kind of like oh exciting like now that I'm playing for Alan I'm just like yeah I'll expect to like meet <laughs> Broadway legends yeah like, from now on so I didn't think much of it and then we got to Fire Island and we like went into Daniel Nardigio's big dicks halfway in and Cheetah was <laughs> sitting on a stool at a table eating um, this amazing meal that Daniel had made. And, and I, I introduced myself to her and she was just really nice and normal. And, and so I was still just kind of like, cool, this is all very normal. And then the next day we met to rehearse and we went into the rehearsal room. There's an upright piano and I rehearsed with Alan and Ari Shapiro and, and then it was time for nowadays and what happens is Alan starts the song. It's good, isn't it, Grant? And yeah. then Cheetah was going to walk on stage for the second verse, and everyone's going to go crazy. We started with, <laughs> oh, my God. There's men everywhere, jazz. jazz everywhere. Yeah. So we start the song, and Alan's singing, It's good, isn't it, Grant? And then Alan finishes verse, and then Cheetah starts singing. She goes, There's men everywhere. And suddenly I realized what was happening. I was like, Oh my God, Cheetah Rivera originated this song. She was one of the, she's the first person to sing this iconic song that (laughs) gay men and many other people like hold so dearly. And I'm playing with her. How the fuck did I get in this position? And I just like my whole body like became like, I don't know, cold and hot at the same time, just chills running up and down. And it was just like, I, I felt the message I was getting was like, it's happening right now. So you better fucking enjoy every yes. second. Like this is, it's happening. Like this is your dream. Like 
Very you ten five cups, years ago yeah. couldn't even believe this would happen, that you'd be in a room with Alan Cumming and Ari Shapiro and Cheetah Rivera playing nowadays. So you better fucking soak up yes. every single like, like photon of energy in this room. And I did. And it was, uh, it was amazing. And then the shows were wonderful. And I don't know, she's, she, she's 86 years old and she danced, did all the movements and I, it was just, and Alan and Ari too, they, they were like, kind of like, I can't believe we're doing this. Um, like Alan has performed with Cheetah before, but Ari, you know, who is a celebrated journalist was like, I can't believe <laughs> yeah. I'm performing now on fire island on fire island like yeah it's i i do think there's something about that story where i'm like yeah i'm sure the earlier version of you who was insecure and like thought you just needed to be quiet maybe you that person would never have been ready for cheetah rivera so it probably would have been unbelievable but now you're like you know the universe is like bitch you're ready like we're here yeah you did it and you know, nowadays is a very easy song to play on the piano. Mm-hmm. But yeah, me in an earlier state would have been too nervous to to bring it. And and now here I was just like, you know how to play nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, super fucking easy. <laughs> um, so so do some, have a blast. Let it be easy and do your thing with Cheetah Rivera. So Magic Elf Lord, the show. Um, I want to talk about, well, I want to hear about what it is um, because I want my listeners to go, but I, I'm I'm curious about the genesis of it. And um, you had a solo show uh, about a year and a half ago at the Duplex uh, uh, called Halo Pop. And I'm just curious, and it's almost been exactly two years since that. So I'm just curious about kind of what the journey has been to this and, and where you want to take things and, and all of that. I, yeah, I did Halo Pop. I did six performances of that a couple of years ago and it was like, still it's like the thing I'm most proud of that I've ever done. Um, like I, I felt like I really put my whole personality and like skill set into it. And, and I like, I feel like I really gave like an emotional, meaningful show and I was really proud of it. And so then I was kind of burnt out from that and I was just kind of focusing on who I was working with and just moving along. And then in this winter, I was getting really depressed and my friend James was like, put up a show, do do a show at Joe's Pub. You're there every week. Um, Like, I'm sure they'd love to have you do something. So in February, I love those conversations because anytime someone says something like that to me, I'm always the last one to know. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure when he said that to you, you were like, how has that never occurred to me? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because like, of course you should. But yeah, it wasn't on my radar at all. Oh, and there's and something else about this. I'm obsessed with this singer named Becca Stevens. She's my number one. I It's like hard for me. Sometimes I have to make myself listen to other music because I'm like, you, you really can't listen to Becca Stevens like for another hour <laughs> today. Um, she's so amazing. She has this album called Regina and it's based on like um, Queens and uh, not that like as in uh, female rulers, <laughs> not like <laughs> the borough. Um, it, like it's about like, Queen Mab or Ariadne or uh, wow. Ophelia or just like powerful women. Wow. But Regina like means queen and right. Salve Regina is that's probably the same thing. Yeah. Right and regent. Yeah. 
So she has all these songs and each one is about a different, like powerful mythical woman. And I'm just obsessed with it. I've listened to it a thousand times and I showed it to my friend James and he was like, well, write music like this then write music about like mythical people or whatever. Like just do this and and call Joe's pub and like put up a show and then perform it. (laughs) Amazing. And so I was like, okay, okay. And, uh, I emailed Joe's pub and the director of Joe's, but the artistic director emailed me back the next day. and was like, I've actually had an email in my outbox saved for you. I just haven't <laughs> sent it. And it was about doing spirit night. Um, and I was like, yes, absolutely. Or he, he just said a show that celebrates New York city's current nightlife. And then I came up with spirit night. Um, but then, so I took the opportunity to ask if I could do my solo show and they said, yes. And then I've just been like for months, just was kind of like, not sure what I would do. And then finally, like a few months ago, I met with my director, Michael Pesci, and we started coming up with ideas. And I don't know, we, so you and I did mushrooms in May and my big takeaway was learning about like, we are here on this earth. We have these lives just to experience things because someone needs to experience every experience. Like if they're (laughs) for something to not exist, it has to also exist. Like the concept of not existing doesn't exist without the reverse. Got it. So every experience needs to experience. So every life has to happen and every life is a story. And I imagined that on this mushroom journey, like when we were like in the thick of it, like Henry and I were in like, it was not like a chill, like, let's go look at trees. It was like in fetal position for hours. Yeah, monitored. we were next to each other in the same room, but we were galaxies apart. Yes, I call <laughs> it parallel play. <laughs> I was under a blanket and my boyfriend was there and he said, I just kept saying, oh, yeah. wow. There was now a lot of I that. Get it. Now I get it. There was a lot of that. <laughs> and We can were... just, if we just, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. <laughs> and you, I remember, were standing up a lot and mm. like saying, like, you're surrounded by like stained glass and like I just kept saying pink too yeah your boyfriend was like what's what's pink and you kept saying just refer you were making references to everything you're like yeah this is like Wolverine's this and this is that Uh, yeah yeah um you just seen the whole world in like fictional yeah and we have that in common we see things in tarot vision yeah exactly But anyways, on this trip, like in the thick of it, like when I truly was like under the blanket and no longer in this realm, certainly I went to this like library in the sky, like in space. And I was like outside of time and it was just this, this library kind of like an interstellar at the end Mm. when Matthew McConaughey like sees that bookshelf and he can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that, except instead of books, it was all scrolls. And I realized that every single scroll was a human life, a specific life. And the message I was getting was like, we have to read every one of these scrolls. To read one of these scrolls is to live that life. And I was like, we're going to keep living over and over again until we finish every single scroll. And that was like really daunting and I ended up getting really like upset about it. I was like, oh yeah, I don't want to live over and over again. And I don't want to live the life as like a peasant during the Black Plague in England or something, you know, Um, or maybe I already have, but whatever. And then I realized, oh, no, but there's a way there's in course of miracles. They call it the celestial speed up. There's a way to like, to, um, 
<laughs> skip this, skip reading every scroll. We have to connect with each other while we're in the physical realm. We have to learn as many people's stories. We have to have compassion for every single human being. And to have compassion for someone is to like um, connect in a way where you absorb their experiences or even if right. you don't know exactly what they went through, where, when you find that connective like experience or feeling, then you don't have to read their scroll. <laughs> This is how it worked in like the mythology. No, that makes sense. Because when I went to the fifth dimension, they were like, I was like, what's going to happen? Like, isn't the world ending? And they were like, don't worry about it. They were like, you just need to be worried about linking together the entire human consciousness. And then if you can create one single consciousness, you can come up here and join us forever. Yes. So I was like, okay, well, that's doable. Yes, it's the same thing. And I mean, it's it's what every great religion talks about is like the... uh, what is it called in Christianity when Jesus talks about like, I don't know, Christ consciousness, like Christ when consciousness. Yeah. And like the, Brahman, yeah. The, the last judgment is when, no, that's something else. But you know, when everything, the, the rapture, rapture, like, rapture is when like people think it's just the good people. No, it's when every, the rapture will happen. Right. <laughs> so and so the rapture will happen <laughs> when every single person has compassion for every other single person on the planet. And I don't think we'll see that in our lifetime. Maybe it will never happen even. But we can, like, we can open little portals of it. Yeah. Which might sustain things until it can happen. Right. And by striving for that, we can do really great things. And I think once you get up there, time doesn't exist. So I think our contribution will be just as valid now as it would ever be. Oh my God, that's so true. So they'll, I think we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're doing our best. We're doing the same work that the Buddha or Jesus or Mahatma Gandhi, whoever, like we're doing the same work in the time that we've been given. And yes, that's, and right. We're exactly. all contributing. Cause I think we'll all be up there together. That's such a great point and makes it so much more, what a great way to give life purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, that. <laughs> That just made me think about experiences and how each life is a story. And, and of course, this is like not new knowledge. This is like all of Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell's thing. Um, but actually it is new because I, it's not new, but it's needed right now because there is this, I think, you know, you go, the culture goes through phases of postmodernism and kind of irony and cynicism and people actually right now want to return to the return of the Jedi, like true hero's journey story and the true, like the true mythology of the living mythology that we're in. It can't, not everything can be a commentary. Not everything can be a subversion. Some like sometimes the culture has to come back to like the base story of, of each of us and why we're here. And what we need out of stories. Right, right. And I think it's so helpful. Me too. This, I think this is okay to talk about. <laughs> when we were in Edinburgh, when Catherine and I were in Edinburgh, she was having like really intense concerns about her vocal stamina because mm. she had to do a show every night. And she was like really, really stressed out and like really worried. And just in this like moment of inspiration, I was like, Catherine, you're on a hero's journey and this is the dragon's lair. This is the moment of despair. 
and on the next step is the ultimate treasure and death and rebirth. like you just have to get through this like you can do this yeah like, and she um and i know that this is helpful because she told me like weeks later she was like that was like really helpful to like think of to zoom out and see this as a big story when because then when no matter what dark shit is happening to you when you zoom out you can be like okay this is just this is a trial on my journey this is like every story has scary parts like luke skywalker has to like rescue princess leia from jabba the hut and that was like a really unpleasant like, and he has to go into that thing. he has to go in dagobah when he goes into that cave and like sees himself in his father yeah it's terrible right and and if he hadn't done those tough things then he couldn't have saved the day at the end and like thrown the emperor off the <laughs> railing <laughs> and you know i i always sob at that part of return of the jedi as soon as like darth vader like turns and finally returns i just i lose it i know it's so crazy and then all speaking of, of intention like luke's intention was to redeem his father mm-hmm. and because of that that's how he was able like his his knives of truth were purely for the good of the world not for any personal thing, you know? Yeah, not, yeah, like not he for would have died if he had to. And that's, so that's the knife of truth that like, that was in the God, seat cab driver's thing. Um, and, and knives, really that like, makes me think of swords and tarot. Cause I always mm-hmm. think of swords as like, well, obviously very cutting, but like swords are, uh, it's a scary card to pull for me. Cause it's like, okay, I'm, I'm about to get hit with like reality and with kind of the hard truth. So it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting that those are connected. Yeah. And, and s- the swords um, cards in the tarot represent, you know, the the power of the mind. Because mm. your mind is a sword and it is double-edged. Is it sort of truth or the sort of ego and false illusions? And so, yeah, those pulling swords cards in tarot is always, like, hard because you're like, okay, clearly, like, there's something I need to, like, shift perception on or there's some, yeah, something that I'm going to have to... I think the one of the reasons beyond tarot, one of the reasons I, I connect to astrology a lot is because it gives life a sense of narrative because it's like, oh yeah, well, we're in Libra season. That's why, which doesn't say, oh, we're in Libra season. That's why these things are happening. But you're like, oh, there's kind of like a story to the world and to history. And especially like, you know, I'm obsessed with like, well, Jupiter isn't with this planet right now. Mm-hmm. Chani Nicholas obviously is huge with that. When, when we met Jupiter was just moving into Scorpio. And then a week later, the Harvey Weinstein stuff happened because Scorpio is about truth and reading and, and revelate, you know, all that. So it gives you this sense of like, okay, that's why every 12 years this shit goes down, etc. And when people, when I talk to people, usually men who resist it, uh, resist astrology, I'm like, don't you wonder why when you were, when you turned 29, all this shit went down in your life? Like it's the return of Saturn. There's the return of Saturn. I'm not saying that's the reason things happen, but I'm saying, look, there's this thing that gives you, that doesn't make you feel alone. That makes you understand like this story has happened with everyone. This is just your version of it. Right. Not like, oh, I, I turned 30 and things randomly went to shit or got really good. Yeah. I don't understand why people are so scared of astrology in that because it, it can be such a comfort or the same thing with the hero's journey, like a way to like see your life as a story and be like, mm-hmm. oh, that 
right now I'm in this part. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious with this show, um, how the show, you know, as much as you can tell us how the show involves these kind of themes. So yeah, what I got from the mushrooming thing was experiences. We're meant to experience them. They're all valid. We're on a journey, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so to bring it to elf, like when I was a kid, I was really in touch with like my inner little elf. Um, like honestly, he was like the main boss. Amazing. <laughs> like I was just really magical and I saw the world through this like mystical lens and everything had meaning. And I believed that like the things I couldn't see, there was something like mysterious behind them, yeah. you know, rather than just think seeing everything as like dead, um, which is kind of what I grew into and in, like my teenage years Me through too. my twenties. <laughs> I think most people do. Um, and, and it's about like returning. So in the hero's journey, you know, every hero starts out in the ordinary world and then they leave and they go through a series of trials and then they face their greatest fears and then they find their ultimate treasure, be it literal or metaphysical, but the ultimate treasure is usually something, it, no, it's always something they had in their right. ordinary world, but they couldn't see it until they went on this journey, which right. is the same as consciousness. Like the reason we have to, or like what I was saying, I can't even remember what I was talking about. We have to have the darkness to see the light. You have to leave the ordinary world to see that you, your ordinary world is right. full of treasure. And when Mulan goes back to her dad, oh. I'm going to start crying. But when Mulan <laughs> comes home, she's like, look, I brought you the crest of the emperor and the sword of the Huns. And her dad is like, you're, like he knocks it out of her hand. He's like to have you as a daughter is the greatest gift. But it's like, yeah, bitch, you're it. Like, yeah, you got it. It's Mm -hmm. yeah. Perfect hero's journey movie. Actually Mulan is also a perfect movie, but yeah, sorry. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Back to uh, magic elf Lord. Um, I was just trying to think of other examples of like the ultimate treasure that the the biggest one is like Dorothy RuPaul talks about this all the time. She had the power to go home the whole time, but she wouldn't have believed it until she went through these series of journeys. Um, or, or like Luke Skywalker, what did he have? What what did he gain at the end? He he realized he he can make a difference. He can defend <laughs> the universe and and use the force and. He had all those abilities when he was a moisture farmer on Tatooine. Right. And Luke returns to Tatooine as a Jedi master and he comes back not like he doesn't even care that he's on Tatooine. He's there to like do what serve and to be a Jedi master and to save his friends. I mean, the Jabba part is kind of fucked up, but yeah. Well, so and that's another part in in Joseph Campbell, like hero's journey talk. Right. After the hero is reborn, he often does go back and do one final task. Like Frodo, after he throws the ring in the fire, he goes back to the Shire and it's been taken over by like Saruman's like minions. And he goes back, him and Mary and Pippin and Sam, they all go back and they're like, they just like fucking kill, (laughs) like, or they just kick him out. Whereas like, you know, before this journey, they would have ran from any like scary people in the Shire. Or they would have gone to rescue it haphazardly. Now they go back as masters. Right, right. Um, So that's, I think that's, we don't always see that part of the movie. But but Tolkien, like, obviously went full forward. Or in the Odyssey, 
when he gets home, if I'm remembering correctly, when Odysseus returns home, there it's like taken over, and his wife like right. has like it's fucked up, yeah. tricked this people, tricked him or something, yeah, right. Um, or like into the Spider Verse, which is also perfect. Is I still like, seen. oh, you'll love. I know you'll love, and it's very good on mushrooms, by the way, <laughs> gorgeous. But yeah, he like the whole movie. He's trying to be Spider Man, and it's not working. And then once he like once he has the realization, becomes a master. Then he puts the suit on and it's effortless and he mm-hmm. rules, but, and then he can go continue on and, mm-hmm. and complete the tasks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, why do we, how are we entertained by movies at all? They're all the same. Like think of Devil Wears Prada, like Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like her, like ability to be, um, like really precise and anal or whatever which was seen as like a bad thing in the beginning ended up being like why she was able to like end up being better than everyone yeah Yeah, like prime thing and yeah and then she becomes the at meryl's level and then she walks away and goes back to her life right right as a jedi master (laughs) yeah amazing it's this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Just over and over again. So anyways, my show, I just kind of, uh, not just kind of, I brilliantly... (laughs) walk the audience through the hero's journey using references kind of like we're doing now, but with music and with my own life. And, and I try not, I try, I haven't done it yet, but my intention is for the audience to kind of get sucked into a hero's journey that we create together. And Mm. for us to, yeah, I don't want to say much more than that. Amazing. Um, I'm curious what sort of like reading and stuff you, you've been doing in preparation. Because um, we talked about Gnosticism, if I'm allowed to say this. Yeah, yeah. Which blew my mind. So I thought Gnosticism would have a much bigger part in the story because I did all this research on it. And now it doesn't have any appearance in the show, but it did inform a lot of the way I wrote it. Um, Which I love that you can go to a show at Joe's Pub that's informed by Gnosticism. <laughs> and like, <Yeah. laughs> Can we talk about the Gnostic creation story? Yes. Okay. So... And I'll do it fast because it is so fascinating. So there's Sophia who is before time. She's an aeon. She exists in the Pleroma, which is just everything. Uh, like it's just this. Aeons are like higher dimensionals and archons are like lower dimension dimensionals. I believe that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Aeons. Yeah. They're kind of, they're not even like gods because gods are like more like personified. Right. These are just like entities and they swirl around and. That that sounds right. Yeah. And they're just like love and it's, it's, they're not matter or antimatter. It's just like whatever. And it, and, uh, Sophia was the youngest Aeon, the last Aeon to be created. And Sophia of course means wisdom. And so Sophia wanted to look upon herself and appreciate her own beauty. So she decided to leave the safety of the Pleroma exit the like membrane. So she could turn around and look at the Pleroma Mm. So she leaves the the membrane of the pleroma and it bursts out into space time. And she's in um, 
this is obviously like an, uh, a metaphor for like the big bang, which, you know, this is super old before the words big bang ever came into like, <laughs> you know, thousand years before right. this. Um, so it's interesting how much it aligns with what we know now. So Sophia bursts out of nothing into space time and she's alone in the darkness and she becomes afraid and fear of course leads to um, anger. As Yoda says, fear leads to anger, anger leads, leads to, to hatred, hate. hatred leads to evil or whatever he says. Hatred le- yeah. Hatred leads to the dark side. To suffering. Hatred leads to suffering. That's it. Suffering leads um, to the dark In side. the best Star Wars movie, Phantom Menace. <laughs> yes. um, Historic, classically. <laughs> it is or no, I guess I've seen Return of the Jedi the most, but the second movie I've seen the most is Phantom Menace <laughs> just because I was, you know, in fourth grade and I didn't know better. Right. <laughs> and I thought it was the coolest. And you just, I just remember going back to the theater over and yes. over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once I had the VHS, watched it weekly or more. Back to back. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Anyway, so Sophia, she's in space time. She's scared and she produces hatred and suffering and mm-hmm. evil, blah, blah, blah. And those out of that that like shame and evil comes this monster called the Demiurge. Right. And the Demiurge couldn't see anything around him. He just saw all this chaos, all this matter, like, you know, uh, asteroids and just everything. And he thought, oh, this is mine. Like, I'm the only like living thing here. And he said, I- I'm the father of this. I-, I am the creator. So this is obviously who we know as the Abrahamic God, the Demiurge. And God ended up creating the earth and he created animals and the animals eventually like evolved to, um, you know, like lower homo species like Neanderthals and stuff. And then he wanted them to, um, he wanted people to like worship him. And so he uh, like gave them like the, the spark that of intelligence that allowed them to become humans. So then they were humans existed, um, in, you know, on earth <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting, it's just such a big story. Um, and they're in this like paradise world. Um, but they just like serve the demiurge God. And one day Sophia wanted these humans, these she did think they were brilliant. And she was like, I, I want them to remember where they came from to know that they actually are made of the same thing that their God is. They're made as the same thing as me. They have to remember the Pleroma. I have to reach them. So she embedded herself into the earth, which, or as we know it, Gaia mm. and became a part of the earth and grew specific plants and, uh, like mushrooms, perhaps I know mushrooms are plants, but no, but, um, but you know, grew like this special information inside these plants. And then one of them was of course an apple tree. And she took the form of a snake and found a woman named Eve and said, eat from this tree and you will have the knowledge of the gods. And so Eve does eat the apple and she gives it to her male counterpart, Adam. And they're, they waken and they realize that they're part of something bigger but God sees what's happened. He gets really pissed right. off and he banishes them and just puts shame on them and scares them. And I don't know. So that's the Gnostic creation story. And I think it's so incredible. I was just reading in Rachel Pollock's tarot book this morning about how like, yeah, if you look at the tarot and it, in uh, the land that's Israel, Palestine now, like 
the the goddess worshiping religions back then believed in the fruit of knowledge and the serpent of truth and the tree of knowledge. And then the Judeo Christian thing flipped it because, and that all goes in line with every goddess worshiping society, which is Mm -hmm. like, they all did mushrooms because mushrooms came out of the earth or Mm -hmm. mushrooms came out of bull dung. And what is the bull? But, the goddess because the horns yes. look like the female reproductive system, right. which looks like the waning waxing moon, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course like war. And we read this in that book trip too, like the Judeo Christian, um, warring society, masculine societies flipped everything. Right. Or as we know from reading Miss of Avalon's, the Druidic people in, um, the current United Kingdom, they were had it was a goddess worshiping culture and st- same thing the yeah. Beltane fires and yeah mushrooms and <laughs> having sex with your brother yeah <laughs> there is she's really Marion Zimmer Bradley has a thing with incest like every goddamn chapter oh, I feel bad bringing this up on the did I tell you about Marion Br- Zimmer Bradley no tell me so it turns out she um. After she died, her daughter um, came forward some, with some really upsetting information. Like, Marion and her husband, like, really sexually abused her, their daughter, and many other young women. And oh, so she was basically, like, a pedophile. I'm and, sorry like, incestual. I know. It's so disappointing. Thank um, you for not telling me till after I finish the book, because... I love that book. I know. Well, it's the same that like, so Lewis Carroll is apparently was a pedophile too. And like had, or maybe not a pedophile, but there's debate was, about that. You oh, may okay. have just been confused, but yeah, there's so many authors or people that create incredible inspired art, but then also have deep problems. I mean, most amazing artists have really deep problems. Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci was like a deeply troubled person. And, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's okay. Anything bad that they did. I'm just saying, um, no, no. In some, art, I think in some cases, like the work they did, will have more lasting importance than the person and their mistakes and their shit. Like, I, I thought that too with Harvey Weinstein. I was like, no one's gonna remember that asshole's name in a, in a generation. But some of the movies that his money helped create that will make some difference mm-hmm. will outlive him and outlast him. Right, and like art. Once it's out there, it is not a part of the artist anymore. That's true. It is not. Which is like, why whenever J.K. Rowling starts tweeting about, actually, no, this character was gay the whole time, it really doesn't matter. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's why people get angry about it, because it's like, you're out of the picture. Mm-hmm. The characters are now real. You created them. You were their vessel and their deliverer mm-hmm. and their their vehicle. But, like... You've released them, so now they belong to themselves. So, like, whatever you do now, they're kind of protected from you in some ways. Right. Absolutely. Um, And it's also helpful as an artist. Once you put something out to the public, it's no longer yours. Yes. To look at it from the other angle. Yes, it is helpful. you can't care about how it's received. Because if you cared about how it was received when you were making it, it wouldn't be authentic to you. It's true. And something I've been telling myself recently, because, like... I'm writing a book. I really don't know when, like there's just no, this could take years and years and years, but sometimes I'll be so excited about it. 
in myself because I don't really, no one knows what it is or what it's about. No one else is working on it with me. And I'll have these moments when I'll be like, I'll see a movie that makes me think, get a new idea and I'll feel so excited. And recently I had to say to myself, like, you need to cherish this because this is the book. Like, because once you've written it, yeah, you'll get to like maybe talk about it and make money off of it, but it will be gone. You know, like I need to cherish this moment now writing it. And it's kind of like what you were saying where it's like you had all these great performances with Cheetah, but like that rehearsal, that was when you were like, wake up, you know? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The experience of creating the art is what you need to cherish. So, um, before we wrap up and people buy their tickets immediately to go see magic elf Lord on the 10th and spirit night on the 21st, which I am going to be performing in and it's (laughs) going to be incredible. Um, I want to talk about another anniversary. It's October 11th is going to be the two year anniversary of you and Kat Cohen's show Cabernet Cabaret. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. And I just get, we're we're recording on September 29th. This is my 5-year anniversary in New York, and if I think about like the moments, that first show, I'm never ever going to forget it. Yeah. It was really really special. Yeah, I remember it too. Yeah, we were just so excited to like be at this new venue that had just opened. Yeah. Uh club coming. And I don't know, and Catherine had already like really done a lot to like get who she is out to the people. And I know people showed up, the audience was so excited and I, was just, I can just remember the way the room was lit even and just how magical it was. And I just remember at the end, first of all, it was the craziest lineup and that was the night I didn't know who Larry Owens or Natalie Walker were. Oh, And that was the night that I saw them for the first time. I'm sure I saw a lot of other people, no, I certainly saw a lot of other people at club coming thanks to you and Kat that I never would have written about or heard about. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have even heard about Kat if you hadn't said like, you should come to this duplex show and see, <laughs> see my friend. Mm-hmm. But, um, the night ended with, uh, you and Kat started, uh, you'll always be my baby by Mariah Carey. Oh, yeah. And we all sang along. It was so magical, That's but right. I'm just curious because it's changed a lot because, the world has kind of discovered you too. And now the show is so like massive and packed. And I'm just curious, like what the journey has been like. Yeah. Um, It's, uh, it's, we just both really feel so lucky. Like it was both of our individual, like respective dreams to like be able to do our own show every week and have people come doing a show and having people come is such like, (laughs) A huge thing. Like there's so many things to see in New York city. So to have a show that is not only is it full, it's packed. People can't get in. And people are like, I, I, I did it two weeks ago and I was like, I can do anything I want tonight Mm -hmm. and they're going to be supportive because they're just like happy and you guys make them so happy. And they're like, yeah, they're there for you. Yeah. We tapped into that energy that makes New York city special. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of, uh, like three or four years ago at almost every Monday night, I would go with friends to see Bob, the drag queen at Barracuda Amazing. for free yeah. at midnight on Mondays. 
and it was packed. Like you have to get there early. You have to get there like 11 to like even get in the room. And then you wait for an hour and then Bob starts like a half hour late. (laughs) And it was like just always the best show. It was the best entertainment in New York city at the time. There was no, you know, yeah. And I, and it was that thing where you, you, we'd be in the audience and everyone could feel like this is really special. And Bob is going to be, Bob's going to take over the world. And then when he got on drag race, just, Everyone, there was no questions like Bob won. Like, w- like the moment we found it was announced he was on, we're like, and he won. We know. <laughs> so, Cabaret, now I don't, I'm not saying like Catherine's going to win a reality show or something. She just already like, has, kind of. And, it's, and not even just her, just everyone on that show. It's just, I guess the point is the energy is just really special. It's like, this is a once in a lifetime thing to be yeah. here in this place right now. Like, or you always say this, like in 20 years, people are going to say like, were you there at club coming when, when, when it cost $5 yeah. or when it was free right. now to it's see $10. them. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. Or like, I remember the second show that we ever did. I remember Joe Firestone was a guest mm-hmm. and her bit was she had people in the audience yell out any, a food that you would order at the diner <laughs> and she would say if it would be good or not. So people would be like grilled cheese and she'd be like, yeah, that's, that's going to be good. That'll be good. Uh, potato salad. That, you might be disappointed. That was her bit. It killed. People were dying. And I was like, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget the night. And I was playing like mood music on the piano. I was like, it was honestly the same as playing for Cheetah. Now <laughs> play underscoring Joe Firestone, responding to diner food, being yelled at her. At Peter Smith coming. that first night did their Nancy Grace material. <gasps> oh. And they came in with a bag, a 12 dozen they came in with a dozen donuts and they started cramming their face with them while they were lip syncing nancy grace i'm gonna start crying i'm laughing it's so funny yes i will never i remember sitting like on the ground with my like holding my knee i was like looking up watching peter do that oh my god yeah yeah it's it's cinematic and i don't know you were performing two weeks ago (laughs) and i thought that you had it was an original song. Apparently, it's an Elton John song. <laughs> but I was like, oh, wow, Henry wrote a really good song. But Kat, like, wrapped her arms around me, and we were both watching you, and I was like, this is so romantic and magical. So, Aww. yeah, I, I guess I want to say, like, in closing, uh, that and all the people you've connected me with and all the, like, this whole world you've opened me up to, really, I don't know who I'd be without it. Really, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be, be without it. The world would be nothing without you. Who, who like made us all feel like we existed at all by like putting us in time out and or and not only just putting us in but the way you would write about all of us it felt like even if you hadn't seen us perform yet or knew what we were doing it seemed like you like could like saw right through people and I, thank and you we just you just wrote about us so beautifully in a way that empowered us and made us feel and now you're in it you're no like you're not writing about us anymore maybe you still do but now you're you're one of thank us. you. <laughs> it feels weird. It's not a club, but you're you're one of those people. Well, thank you for seeing that in me early on and like being my my wizard. And I think the tenth is going the tenth and the twenty first. But I think your month at Joe's Pub to come. I encourage everyone to see Henry if you've never seen him before or if you've seen him a million times. I think it's going to be completely new. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, really this is your Return of the Jedi, Jedi Master moment. 
I think it is. I think it is. Okay, well, thank you for this. And um, Oh, and come see me in Spirit Night on the 21st with Henry. That's going to be, be insane. <laughs> it's going to be really special. Thank you, Henry. Thanks, David. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.